0: Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. So I'm Sam. I'm one of the youth leaders at uh, Hills Baptist uh, in Verdun. Obviously, we joined together, uh, I think, two years ago now. So uh, we've been at this church uh, we moved to the hills in 2018. Um, we thought it was going to be warmer, but uh, <laughs> we didn't know it was quite going to be five degrees colder every time. But so we've uh, we've learned to make a good fire. Um, and uh, yeah, God brought us to this church. It was a funny story, but quick story. Um, we've been down the edge. So I got saved six years ago. Uh, I wasn't a believer before. Um, I was actually of the Muslim faith, and. Uh, when we moved up to the Hills and we started coming to Hills a little bit, we still went down to Edge. And the kids hated the drive, but I really loved Edge. And I prayed to the Lord one day. I said, Lord, you know, if this is the church you want us at, then just show me a sign. And, and Lord knows I love signs. Uh, and uh, the very next time we went to Hills, Dave Shepherd said, um, in a month's time or in a few weeks' time, we're going to be moving to the gym at Verdun. And at the time, we were living next door to the school at Verdun. So I was like, "No worries, Lord." Then we just started jumping the fence and going to church, and uh, we're still rocking up late. So I don't know how that worked, but. (laughs) (laughs) So I have the pleasure and privilege of preaching tonight. It's um, you know, my son said to me as we were leaving the house, he's like, "Dad, are you nervous?" Because I was, Lord, you know, breathing. He's like, "Dad, are you nervous?" I said, "Yeah, man." He goes, "I didn't know you got nervous." I said, well, I do when I'm preaching the Word, Lord, you know. So it is a privilege. It is an honour. Um, Dave has, has asked me to preach a few times in the last year. And I think he got wind of, uh, he gave me a few months last time, notice. And he found out via live stream that I prepared two weeks before, this, before the date. And so this time he gave me five days. <laughs> right. So, yeah, let's let's try and see what the Lord wants to do, shall we? Because like Paul says, it's not him, it's him, yeah. right? So we're um, in the book of uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, verse 1 to 11. Um, so that's where we're going to be today. Uh, so I want to start, I guess, by when we consider the life and death of Jesus, in particularly here, there's three things that hold true to us. they are conclusions we can be confident of. Number one is that Jesus died by crucifixion. That's not only in the Bible, okay? Uh, That is in so many other sources of of information that you can find about this, number one, crucifixion being a big Roman death tool, and number two, that Jesus did die on this tool, on this um, cross. So that's number one. Number two, his followers truly believed that Jesus rose and appeared to them. That's number two. And number three, People who were not followers of Jesus, some 500 of them, saw Jesus appeared after he died and he appeared to them. So that's the three conclusions we get here. So we have to conclude that a miracle has occurred. You would agree? A miracle has occurred, and we find ourselves here in a verse that I did not know until I started doing my research. In this verse, this is considered by scholars as the top 10 verses. One of the top 10 verses in the entire Bible. I don't know if you heard me, church. Dave said this might happen. So I came prepared. I'm not afraid to go back and repeat what I just said. This is one of the top 10 verses in the entire Bible. That's right. That's more, well, we're going to get along just fine, Okay. Okay. There's 66 books in this Bible. Okay, I should have calculated the verses. That would have been even cooler. But anyway, 40 different authors over a thousand plus years. And this is one of the top 10. What is crazy is that um, on Monday last week, I was praying. I was watching a video on TikTok, funny enough. And uh, it was about a street preacher. You know, and he was preaching in the streets of Madison Square Gardens in New York City, and he was all over the place, and he was preaching, and I loved it, and he was having great debates with people, and he kept his cool; he wasn't getting angry, people were getting angry at him. And I said, "Man, I love this." I said, "Lord, you need to use me. Whatever you want to do, use me." Like I just, you know. And literally within 24 hours, I got five calls to preach. I said, "Well, that's a lot, Lord." <laughs> but I knew I had to say yes to all of them. Right? Because sometimes we say, oh, that's too many, you know, and sometimes it is. But I feel like I just prayed, God blessed it, so I'm going to say yes. Okay? David was the last one. Okay? And he was the first one to come. And I still said yes. I said, let's do it, David. Okay? So here we go. We are going to look at um, how Jesus has overcome the enemy and the world by dying for our sins and rising again so we could be born again in the Spirit. And what that's going to mean for us is that we have to live differently than we were living before. It can't be the same because we are now brand new. Amen? Amen. Right, so we can't live the same old life. We are born again in the Spirit. I think this is so impactful in particular because it was written by Paul. So it's not only what he's written, but it's by who. Who wrote this? Paul was once Saul. Saul had one of the greatest turnarounds in the history of the Bible. He was a a zealous persecutor of Christians, openly, looking to kill them, looking to arrest them, did not care. To one of Christianity's greatest evangelists, and if not the first missionaries who ultimately helped shape the early church. And is believed to have written 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. Almost half. So the man knows what he's doing, but he's just open to what God is doing. Okay, and we're gonna see why. You're gonna see why. So he wrote Romans, Corinthians 1-2, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus and Philemon. Now before this happened, it is also agreed that Saul was at the death of Christianity's first martyr. And do you know who that was? Stephen. Stephen. So in Acts chapter 7, verse 54, if you want to go there first, Luke tells us that Stephen, well, we'll go to it. When the council members heard Stephen's speech, they were angry and furious. But Stephen was filled, oh, oh, it's right there, let's go from there. Full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to the heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and, yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed him. So they didn't want to hear what he was saying. Right? That's very interesting. I like to pick up these little things. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named, Saul. sorry, named Saul. So, so he didn't get his hands dirty, right? but he's there approving it, giving the nod. Like he's like the mafia boss. I just picture that. Like he's like, kill, kill him, right? <laughs> he was Arab, he wasn't Italian, right? So let's, right, kill him, okay? While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So he's seeing him and he's like, take me. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Where have you seen that before? Jesus on the cross. Isn't that funny? The first martyr also emulates what His Lord said on the cross. Not a coincidence. When He had said this, He fell asleep. Now I picture a couple of things when I started reading about this. I thought, surely Saul has been affected. He just watched a man get stoned, the first man of Christianity, by the way. And rather than like scream out in pain and please stop or anything like that, what did he do? Welcome me, Jesus. And Please forgive them. Now, I don't care who you are. You could be the hardest man in the world. If you see a man do that, I'm telling you right now that's piercing your heart. That is, that is planting some seed somewhere in your mind or in your heart that you cannot stop thinking about. So I just thought, wow, I picked up on that little thing, right? And I also picture myself, I look, when I read the word, I like to picture myself there. Like I like to put myself, oh, I wonder what he would have been thinking. Wow. So no matter what happened then after, he had to keep thinking about Stephen. And I just thought, wow, that's so interesting. And that was only the beginning. But this blew my mind to think that he was at the death of the first martyr and now he's here telling us what we're about to read in in this letter. right? Um, Where we are going to see now is that he is telling us and the church of Corinth is that the glory of the Christian faith is it never views life as ending with death, But it always looks beyond the sun setting towards the sun rising. And so here's my only little one-liner for this sermon. And I love one-liners. I was telling Nick before, God just gave me one. He said, it's not about the one-liners, but I'll give you one, Sam. (laughs) So today for those note-takers, this sermon is called, The sun sets and rises again. Oh yeah, (laughs) that's right, people. (laughs) Okay, so we always look beyond the sun setting towards the sun rising. And I just think it's great. For those of you who don't know me, six years ago, I was a no pork Muslim, which meant I drank, I ate, I smoked, I partied, I carried on, but I didn't eat pork. And that kept me Muslim, okay? I tried on and off for years and years from my early or late mid-teens up until well, six years ago to be a good Muslim through my own works, Okay. It failed time and time again. I was not a follower of Jesus, but we Muslims, they loved Jesus, but they just didn't think of Him as the Son of God and definitely not God incarnate. He was a great prophet. Okay? So through the highs and lows, uh, I met my wife um, and we basically were together 14 years at that time. She came through me with the highs and lows and she was a believer. So she stayed with me that whole time as a believer, um, and, and she prophesied some things over my life that I would be a Christian youth leader. And now on a Friday night, that is what I do. Which at the time she said it, I never believed. I was like, oh yeah, sure. Because I, I was sort of like Ned Flanders, right? Like, and I'm like, I'm not Ned Flanders, bro, right? But that's what she said. She said, I just picture you like a Christian youth leader. I was like, yeah, okay. Now, we had three kids, three beautiful kids, and I just thought that it would stop, but it didn't. And one day she brought to Jesus what we hadn't brought to Jesus before, because we were trying through man to stop this other stuff. Psychologists, drug rehab, counselors, etc. And they're all great people. We got some great tools. But this time she brought it to Jesus. And what I'm going to show you, just like Saul, we have some similarities. Saul had a through a crazy series of events on the road to Damascus, right? Met Jesus. I found myself traveling on the road to Sydney where I met Jesus. He was on a carriage with his companions. I was in a Toyota MR2 with an ex gangster turned pastor. (laughs) See the similarities? Jesus appeared to him and blinded him. Jesus appeared to me in the Holy Spirit and made me cry uncontrollably. Then He appeared to me on a building, not like physically, but His name, Jesus, was on a building as I started praying and looked up and there it was as we were driving in this car. So it was like this shocking thing that He just came out of nowhere. Like, I mean, I wasn't, you know, hunting Christians, but, you know, (laughs) so was, right? Um, So He kept giving me all these signs. I'm a speaker in schools and I was at a school... uh, for kids who English as a second language and majority of these kids were Muslims. They were from Afghanistan and Iraq and a couple from Iran. They were pretty much all Muslims. So I was like, assalamualaikum you know, blah, blah, blah. And when I finished, I packed up and it was like a bigger room than this. And something drew me to the corner of the room and I was like, what is that? Don't ask me why. But I just started walking towards the corner and it was Jesus on a little card this big. I know. I was like what? Why would I even go there? I couldn't even see what it was. He was calling me, and that's what he's doing here, right? And Paul was going to tell them that he is calling them. They have seen him. Paul was blinded by Jesus. Why? So then he could go to a town to meet a man who Jesus had already approached and told him that Paul was coming. So when Paul came, the man already knew, and Ananias said, "I already knew." That's going to blow your mind, right? I already know you were coming, Paul. And Ananias had an argument with Jesus about it anyway, going, I don't want to heal Paul or Saul, right? So I just, I just love how he just interwines it all. Jesus took these addictions from me when I gave over my life to Him. Alcohol, drugs, smoking, gambling, all gone. And I continue to be blown away. You see, once you've had a journey like this, it is your duty to speak his name and 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 speak his word to others. It's not for you. He's doing it to you for everyone else. It's your story is his story through you. And that's what we're going to see from Paul time and time again. And this is why, you know, he calls himself the le- the lesser of apostles, but why he's considered one of the greatest. He didn't have to spend 3 years with Jesus. He spent one moment. And that one moment gives us you know 13 books of the Bible. It is our duty to call and tell others about Him and His Word. It is to use examples to press in and it's not always with a crazy testimony just because you don't have a crazy testimony. It's not what this is about. He gave Paul back his sight but He's given you all new life. You cannot tell me that when you've accepted Jesus you are the same as you were. It may not be crazy but it definitely some changes. Would you agree? Amen? Amen. Amen. So we're going to pull back and we're going to see and we're all going to testify that through Him and with Him our lives are different. So let's start that Scripture. 1 verse 15 through 1 to 11. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the Gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this Gospel you are saved. I hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you would have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. So take that note, according to the Scriptures. They didn't have these then. That He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, He's he's mentioned them twice and that He appeared to Cephas. Does anyone know who Cephas is? Yeah, I didn't know that. I was like, oh, it's Peter. I was like, who's this Cephas character, right? It's Peter, that's his Aramaic name, right? Peter, and then to the 12. After that, He appeared to more than 500s of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen Yes, like some of you right now. Some have fallen asleep. This is key for us right now. He's not just speaking to Corinth. He is speaking to Australia and to the Western church. I'm telling you right now, this is a word for us tonight, church. Um, Fallen asleep. And last of all, He appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Paul is writing to a church that he did not establish and he did not visit at the time of writing. The difference is that the teaching here is the closest thing Paul has ever come to the summary of the Christian doctrine, that Jesus died was for us and rose again to give us new life. This is the first time he summarised that. Why? Because he was so intimately involved in planting the church in Corinth. He was so involved, right? He had skin in the game, so to speak. So he was like, oh, these are my guys. Like, I can't, like, this is my team. Like, I've got to get them up. What's going on? He hears word that they're not doing the right thing. They're wishy-washy. They're going back to some sinful ways. He's like, how could you be? You came new through the blood of Jesus. So he is so involved here. As I learned to preach, I research. And they always say that knowledge of the circumstances which preceded and written in each book is essential Interpreting it. So I always go back and I find out, well, who is Corinth? Where was it? What were the people like? And I found some crazy stuff, church. You ready? Right. A church is always going to reflect to some extent its society, its external society. Okay? Um, The reflection doesn't have to be directly proportionate to. So if we're, you know, if we're a church in, let's say, I don't know, what's one of Adelaide's worst suburbs, I won't drop any names because I don't want to offend any people. Let's say down north, okay. (laughs) Or we could go south as well, I don't care. Both of them are, I think, polar opposites. But it doesn't mean that we have to be influenced by them. But this is what you will see. Because we allow it in and we allow it to influence. You see, they always say to you, you are what you eat. But that's not necessarily true. You are what you consume, what you watch, what you hear. I tell my son all the time, the rap music that he likes now, that I used to like when I was younger, we can't listen to always. I don't mind a little bit. But we need more gospel gangster (laughs) and a little bit of gangster. Okay. But if we had all gangster, what would we become? That's how it is. So that's what we're going to see in Corinth. We always say you are a product of the five people you hang around the most. That is true. Okay, you look at your five best friends, the people you hang around the most, and I can tell you who you are and the type of person you will be. It is that simple. Okay. The redemptive fellowship we find in the New Testament church possesses something unknown to the world. You know the peace that surpasses all understanding? That is because of Jesus and therefore the church must not be conformed to its environment. My favourite verse, I didn't give it to the man at the back. Sorry, bro, I didn't even get your name. Nick. Nick. <laughs> Put him on the spot. Um, I didn't give him this one. but This is my favourite verse in the whole Bible. Romans 12 two. Do not conform to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you can test God's will. His perfect and pleasing will. He says, do not be conformed. And this is what Paul is telling them. Um, The church in Corinth exists in an extremely sinful atmosphere. And that continued to make its mark on the church. Many of the problems the church found, their basis was in the life of the city. Okay, if they're the only church in that city, and that city had been, I'll give you a bit of a background on it, put it this way. Does everyone know Aphrodite? Has heard of Aphrodite? Okay, right. And do they know what Aphrodite represented? Yeah, pleasure and lust. In 500 BC, a a statue idolising and worshipping Aphrodite was constructed above the city or town of Corinth. So that's been there for 500 years. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Now people put, put um, the letter of Corinth around 60 AD, right? Somewhere around there. So 60 years. So maybe from the time that he started preaching to then, you know, let's say 20 years. Okay of a church plant, 20 years, and you're facing 500 years of this type of idolatry, of this type of lustful behaviour. There were a thousand priestesses in this uh, temple that were basically prostitutes. They called themselves priestesses by, by self, self-professed, right? Really, okay? But they were basically prostitutes. So there was an economic and social factor that was affecting the Church of Corinth. When I came to the Lord, so some of them would say, oh, that's okay to just do a bit of this with these guys. We still go to church. You see it today. Oh, oh, that's okay that they've sacrificed this meat to Aphrodite, but we'll still eat it. That's okay. No, it's not okay. When I first came to the Lord, I didn't go out with my friends from the pre-Jesus Sam for like six months. I didn't go to birthdays. I didn't go to engagements. Why? Because I knew what was gonna be there. Why would I put myself in that temptation? Until I became stronger in the faith that I could go there and reject those ways of the world. But if I'm representing Christ and I go there and then I get drunk with them, then how am I any better? And that's what he's saying to them. I had to avoid them. Paul at this stage had been ridiculed because of his preaching of the resurrection by the Greeks in Athens. So he'd already been ridiculed about the the resurrection. They They uh, held that a resurrection of a body was disgusting, was repugnant. The Greeks considered matter evil and spirit good. And they were intellects. They were like the most intelligent people in the area at that time. The philosophers all came from there. So to them, their intelligence and their knowledge was getting in the way of a true revelation. And that can happen to us too, church. We see that pride being celebrated. It doesn't just have to be what they're celebrating, but pride gets you in the way of learning anything above what you are thinking you are correct about. And that's what's happening here. So the one great doctrinal passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 was because of the Corinthians' difficulty with the resurrection. So what he first says is that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day. Now, is he referring to any particular Scripture? Well, no, probably not. There are many. So he's not just saying one, he's saying Scriptures. But all the Old Testament Scriptures emphasises that God is providing a Saviour who would die and pay for our penalty through through, uh, for our sin by His death. Early in the letter, Paul said, for Christ our Passover has been sacrificed. That's from uh, chapter five, verse seven. The death of Christ was our Passover lamb being sacrificed. The Passover lamb goes all the way back to Exodus. So this is something that's been practised for a thousand years. God then came and He said, um, every firstborn of the family in Egypt are gonna die. You have to put the blood of the lamb uh, on, the, on the doorstop or on the doorpost of the house. And later that night, the firstborns, you know, and he saw the blood and he would leave that house. He would pass over it and he would accept the blood as an indication that death had occurred to take place of that family's firstborn. Now, what I found out later was it didn't mean you were a Jew and survived. You see, if you were an Egyptian, like let's say you were really good friends with an Egyptian and you said, hey, you got to put blood on your post because God is coming through tonight. And you listened in faith, even against your belief, and you did it. You were, you were saved. And if you're a Jew who didn't believe it and you didn't do it, you were? not. So the sacrificial lamb here is big. it's a big deal, and it's been a big deal for a long time, but God said that is not going to cut it anymore. I'm sending my son in, in the place. This event foreshadowed the time when God would provide His Son as our Passover Lamb. When John the Baptist introduced Jesus to the nation of Israel, he said what? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. His announcement declared that Jesus is the ultimate sacrificial Lamb. The only one who could pay the penalty for sins. Therefore, all the sacrifices of the Old Testament looked forward to the coming of Christ. Mate, I don't know if you've seen the image, but Jordan Peterson has been blown away recently by it and he's been talking about it. But it's like this picture and it has all the books of the Bible. And it has this crazy, like rainbow-like connection between every book of the Bible. And he's a man that studies, you know, literature and psychology and psychiatry. And he goes, mate, no other book. Like he's a believer that's not a believer. Right, he's he's right there. Jesus is like, come on, Jordan, right? He's right there. He's pushing for us harder than most Christians are pushing for us, by the way. Just letting you know that in case you didn't know. All right, he's out there telling the world more about Jesus than most of the Christians because he's not afraid, he knows truth. So he's almost there, right? Um, the book of Hebrews is, is the superiority of Christ in replacing the Old Testament. Like he talks about it through the whole book of Hebrews, it is in, for uh, Hebrews ten four says, "For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins." Clearly, the problem with the sacrifice of animals was that they couldn't take away sin, and so he's replaced him with Christ. Paul possessed the perfect qualifications to be an evangelist. He was versed in the Jewish culture, the language. His upbringing in Tarsus made him you know, very well, uh, well, very well uh, learned with the Greek language and the culture. And his training in Jewish theology, theology helped him connect the Old Testament with the Gospel. So you're talking about a guy who would have known the Old Testament. And a lot of these guys, like some Muslims that I know, they know lots of it by heart. Like it's their like thing, you know, by the age of 13, these boys, Jewish boys in that culture would have known like books off by heart. And so you're talking about a guy that knows all of that and is telling them, I know this all pointed to Him. And when you see it, you cannot be the same again. I'm getting goosebumps telling you this, church. When you see it, you cannot be the same again. Are we going to be perfect? No. Paul says it throughout the books on and on again. He had a, um, a thorn in his side. We never find out what that is. But he's telling us, I'm not perfect. I've still got things. But I'm pushing for Jesus. So don't think we have to be perfect. We don't. In actual fact, it's the opposite. It's the broken who need Jesus. We just have to keep reminding ourselves we are broken and that only in Him can we be filled and fixed and healed. Paul possessed this through the language, through the learning, through the culture, through theology. When God brings a person to faith, He already knows how He wants to use that person in service. But it's up to them to step out in faith. It's up to you to step out in faith. He already knows how He wants to use you. But you've got to say, okay, Lord, how do you want to use me? Like I prayed on Monday. And then you've got to say yes, even if it scares you. Actually, yes, when it scares you. Because if it doesn't scare you, maybe it's you, not God. Not the devil either, right? Let's just put that away. But I mean stepping out in faith, right? That's in something unseen. You can't be so courageous and yes, I can do this. No, it has to be with Him. Does that make sense? Right? Um, sometimes the people are slow to understand God's plan and they may even resist it. I rejected God's signs three times before I accepted Him into my life. Three times. He showed me the sign of the writing. He showed me um, that card. It's somebody else. Actually, it was four. And then the fourth one was a book and it was at the Kurong. And it was a book that was called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. And I was like, Okay. <laughs> So I bought that book and I read that book and it was about a young man who was way more Muslim than me. Very intelligent man, very well read, written beautifully and he was basically trying to disprove Christianity and instead he ended up coming because like Paul, you're right, he had this moment. He was like, oh gosh, maybe it's true. <laughs> he can't disprove the crucifixion. He couldn't disprove the resurrection and he couldn't disprove the Trinity of God. He said, this must be true. So he accepted Jesus in his life and became new. When I took this and I accepted Jesus in my life, He took it all from me. And now He uses me. I speak in schools, but now guess where I'm speaking? Where I never would have thought in a million years I'd be speaking. At church. <laughs> that still blows my mind. So that's why I get nervous. Because I'm like, who am I? I'm not, I'm, you know, But I'm just going to be His messenger. I'm, just, I'm not here to create anything new. I'm just like, okay, here it is. Here's... I just, I'm good at talking, but you've got to do the rest, Lord. Right? You see, He wants to use your skills. He created you. He knows you better than you know you. Yes. Everybody has different skills. He can use all of it. He wastes nothing. Alright? Now, no matter what anyone can say, when you have experiences with Lord, nobody can argue against it. A man with experience of God is never at the mercy of a man with an argument about him, and because I've had arguments, my brother, my father they're still non believers. The Muslim family they said, Oh, you've come to Jesus, right? Well, I've copped it a lot, not like half of the world, right? There's nothing compared to that. But I'm like, Mate, what do you want me to say? And that's what Paul's saying to them it's like, Guys, what are you doing? He says, I was abnormally born. You know what that means. Born again. He says, I didn't spend time with you, with Jesus like the others. The other apostles spent three years walking with Him. They saw miracles of healing and still when He died, what did they do? They went back to fishing. And not even a day later, man. Like straight away. They're like, oh well, I guess that was it. We'll go back to what we know. Because that's what people do and that's what we're seeing in Corinth. They go back to what they know. All right. He says, uh, He doesn't deserve this because he is never good enough, but the one who is in him and with him is. In that way, Paul is a prototype of the modern believer because none of us have seen him, but we've experienced him, right? We didn't walk with him, but now we're walking with him, right? Okay, and we've all come to him in a different way. You know, I could ask you to a hundred and a hundred people would not say the same way. Would you agree? Right. That's the personal God that we experience. That blows my mind. Um, Paul includes himself amongst the eyewitnesses to Jesus' post-death life, meaning that it was really the Lord in the flesh who confronted Paul's unbelief in, Christ, in Christ's deity and in His resurrection. He turned up and showed him, why are, you, why are you hunting me? Why are you hunting my people? He's like, what the heck? Now Paul needed to be blinded because he was such a proud man in that faith. Everyone has in different ways what they need. By by the grace of God, I am what I am, He says. And in His grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Why? Because He was so blown away. When He came back to the um, apostles who were hiding at that time, right? They said, what the heck's this guy doing here? Like this is how I picture it. He's like, what the? He's like, hey, hey. Jesus has come to me, I met a guy, Ananias, he, he blinded me, he healed me, now I know who you serve. And, I, and they were like, like yeah, sure mate, right? Like would you have believed him? He's just hunting you a minute ago, now he wants to be your mess mate. You think he's like a mole, like he's just trying to infiltrate, right? But that's why he went so hard, because he was proving to them too. This is what you're meant to do. And that's why he was the first missionary. First evangelist. He's out there going, I'll show you how it's done. Boom. He goes, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you believed. He is telling them, what are you doing, guys? There are some of you who are alive that saw Jesus for yourselves in the flesh and now you've gone back to your own ways? How have you forgotten that? How often do we do that? How often do we get a prayer that's answered and then a week later, we need something else? Oh Lord, are you there? You know, someone came up to me, he's been a Christian 50 years and he said, ah, you know what, Sam, I just don't get like, because in the early days, he came up and he showed up and he showed up and he showed me signs, crazy signs, right? I'll go into it another time. And he said, you know, he doesn't do that. I said, yeah, but you've been walking with him for 50 years, mate. Do you have to keep proving to your son that you're his father? 50 years? No. You do it in the beginning, then he knows, okay, that's my dad. Right, then you come back every now and again when you need something, that's my dad, right? And that's what he does too. In the beginning, he wants you to stay close so he shows you. And that's what he did in Corinth. And now he's like, where are you? What are you doing? What more do we need to keep Jesus in our lives and to keep living for Him and avoiding the world? The world? I love how he uses the term fallen asleep. Because church, I've come to Christianity six years ago and I'll tell you right now, it has fallen asleep. That's why the left is so loud. That's why we have these truths that are straight up lies that somehow people are believing because we've stayed quiet for too long. Like it blows my mind. There's not been a voice that's been loud enough and even within the church, there's been so much arguing about what is and isn't and is and isn't. We're not focusing again on Jesus. I believe this is a word for us today, as much as it was for the Corinthians except it was 2,000 years later, and even though none of us saw Jesus alive, we have felt Him and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The problems were acute for the Corinthian converts, and Paul's answers continue to be helpful today for the Christians who are struggling with some of our practices or questionable practices. What are we doing? Are we living in a way that's calling others to see Jesus in our lives? Like my wife calls me out sometimes, if I like get angry at a football game, she says, is that really how a preacher would react? Because <laughs> I can't get upset at poor power, let me tell you. And of course they won tonight, but you know, thanks, right? And so she checks me and that's what we need. Iron sharpens iron, right? You gotta be checked. You're like, okay, yeah, that's right. And sometimes I get upset. Well, I'm not a pastor. I just preach the Word sometimes. Like that's, <laughs> that's sometimes my excuse, right? But true. Are we bringing others to God through the way that we act in the world? Do people look to us and go, I want more of what that person has? And then we lead them to Jesus? Or are you just sort of moulding into the way they are and sort of letting things slide because, oh, you don't want to be that person. Oh, you don't want to be upsetting people. All right? If we truly believe that He died for us and that eternity awaits our people and us and that the absence of God is hell, then how differently would we live our lives? And how much more, uh, um, what's the word? Urgency to bring others to Him would we have? And this is to me as well. I'm not like saying, yes, I do this, you don't, bad people. This is for me too, right? This is really shaking me up. Are we becoming like the culture or are we making others more like Christ? Will Christians really be raised from the dead as Christ was after the crucifixion? Some of the Corinthians didn't think so. A group of them either believed false teaching or blended false teaching from the culture and Christianity because that's how the enemy works. See the enemy, when you go back to the garden, because we can always point back to the garden, he didn't tell Adam and Eve that's not what God said. Do you know what he said? He said, did God really say that? It makes you question it, like, oh, did he? Or oh, maybe he didn't? And that's where that false, those lies come through. He's a deceiver. And this is what you see here. Since so many eyewitnesses to Christ's resurrection were still living, how could they believe these lies? How could they sort of copy their environment instead of making their environment more like them? Paul challenges their unbelief and ours in the coming resurrection of all who trust in Christ. He begins to show us why this is so significant by working out the logical implications around it. In this one, like what? Well, you know, he's basically pointing to everyone, telling them, you know, those 14 other chapters you read? This is basically why all, they all make sense. Everything I've said up to now, this basically encompasses all of what I've already told you because of this one fact. Just as death came to all people through one man, Adam, resurrection will come to all in Christ when He returns for all those who belong to Him. You know, nothing I would hate more than getting there and He says, I call His name and He says, get away from me, I do not know who you are. Can you imagine that? that? That should make you cry. And not in a bad way, you're just like, I want to be loved by Him. So what can I do more? And it's not about what we do, but it's through Him that we do it. It's not by works, but through faith, by grace. Paul is saying, Corinthians, Hillsbaptians, Millennials, Gen Zians. <laughs> Couldn't think of any more. He says, If you get the proper perspective of the resurrection reality in Christ, then all the issues I've discussed in the last 14 chapters will take care of themselves. He says the solution to their problems and all our problems is the right revelation of the resurrection reality in the risen Christ. Thank you so much, church. Let us pray. Am I meant to say, band, you can come up now? Do you do that here as well? (laughs) Normally at Verdun I say, um, eagles fly... West in the winter. <laughs> or north, one of those, I don't know. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we just, we just lift you up. We, we thank you so much that you've given us our, your word and that your word is truth. Your word is a lamp for our feet and a light to our path so that it is not just through our strength, Lord, but it is in your strength that these things can be done. That when we accept you in our life, you make us new that You died, You sent Your Son to die and three days later rose Him, that people saw Him and He did that for us. Not just for them back then, Lord, but for everyone that has ever walked this earth who believe in You and welcome You into their lives. Lord, I just pray that we can be that people that stand up firmly in our faith, that be bold and be courageous and with love. And with love, that we can profess your truth. That we can tell the world we are in the world, but we are not of the world. And the things that the world does, we do not do. May we wear our full armour, protect our hearts, our minds, our spirits, Lord. As we journey through and we bring others to know your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.